Hello, and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm your host. I'm what you would call a practicing professor. I have years of experience consulting in the analytics industry, and I have years of experience teaching analytics in the classroom at Greensboro College. This podcast is an ecosystem that I developed for my students so that they could get world-class career advice from leading analytics experts. To date, my students have got to ask questions directly to analysts and data scientists from Amazon, Apple, and Google. They've even got to talk directly to CEOs, CMOs, and presidents of companies who have been former clients of mine to get insights on how senior managers use data to drive their business decisions. If you're interested in becoming one of my students, check the links in the description down below. I'm currently offering two programs. One is a one-month career services program, and the other is an analytics apprenticeship program associated with Greensboro College. In both of those programs, we take a three-tiered hybrid approach. So you'll have access to pre-recorded asynchronous lectures, live group lectures in a cohort setting, and one-on-one coaching with experts in the analytics space. On average, our students are gaining about a $16,000 pay increase going through the program. On the high end, we've actually helped someone achieve a $54,000 pay increase. This means that on average, our students are recouping their investment between one to two months of landing their job. So if you're ready to take your career to the next level, click the links in the description and apply for our program. I would love to get to work with you. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy this podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast. In this podcast, we talk to experts in and around the analytics industry. One week, we may talk to a data scientist from a FANG tech company. Then the next week, we may talk to a data engineer or business analyst, or even I may pull one of my consulting clients so you get to hear from an executive on how they use data to drive business decisions day in and day out. My name is John David Arianson, and I'm the founder of Silvertone Analytics, which is a boutique consulting agency that focuses on analytics for medium to small size businesses. I'm also a professor at Greensboro College, where I teach analytics. Most recently, I have founded the Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program, which melds these two job functions together. This is your opportunity to work directly with me and one of my clients. The Greensboro College Analytics Apprenticeship Program is a three-month program. In the first month, you're going to be completing the Analytics Foundation Certification backed by Greensboro College. Then in month two, you're going to be taking that knowledge base that you developed in month one and applying it out in the field where you're going to be working with one of my client's executive teams where you're going to be solving a business problem using data and analytics tools. Then in the third month, we're going to bring it all together with a full month of career services. Now, this is going to be quite a bit different than the typical career services at a university or a college. Here, I'm going to help you build a professional brand around where you are as an analyst. So in the first month, you have worked with a ton of different data sets. We're going to take the data sets that really resonate with you to help you hone in on your ideal entry-level job. We're going to build a Tableau public portfolio around that area of expertise. We're going to razor focus your resume and LinkedIn. And I'm also going to coach you on how to talk about yourself in an interview setting. So if you're ready to break into the analytics space, 
head over to learn.silvertonianalytics/apprenticeship and there you can learn more about the program and if you're interested you can apply. With all that being said, let's start the podcast episode. Hello and welcome to the How to Get an Analytics Job podcast, where we will help you discover where you fit into the analytics marketplace, what skills you should build, and how to land your analytics dream job. I'm John David, analytics agency owner and educator. And I'm Elizabeth Illig, a private career coach and higher education professional. In this podcast, we will not only help you land your next analytics job, but we will give you the tools and strategies to level up your career. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So we actually have a returning guest. He is a data scientist, an educator, and also I would dub him the king of the data science portfolio. Michael Galarnik, how are you doing today? Good. <laughs> it's an interesting introduction. <laughs> well, so you said that your blog has taken a slight hit from where it was last time we were talking, but we're still talking like absurdly high numbers. Yeah, well, it's when you stop blogging, you know, numbers go down. But if you have good content to be in with, like they actually spend time making a blog good, you'll still get returning people or it'll be top of Google hits, and you know, that sort of stuff. So, right. So you went from like 200,000 to 150,000 in yeah. months. So, years. I mean, and before that, when I was publishing all the time, it was like uh, 300,000. But it's just, you know, time, right? If you're making, you know, courses, if you're, you know, working and pandemic is slowing everything down. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. So I've actually been busier now since the lockdown than before, which is mind boggling. But I guess that's the state of online learning, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> so for those of you who are listening, we are going to be talking about the pros and the cons of learning online versus learning in person in a college or a university setting. So Michael, I guess let's start off the conversation with how did you learn data science? So I learned it from a formal master's program at UC San Diego. They have a data science master's there and it was a good program. Uh, As we'll talk about, there's advantages and disadvantages of university education. It's very rigid in a lot of ways. Um, and from there, I mean, I also worked at Scripps Research while I was doing the master's. And we can talk about that if you're kind of curious. So I learned from university as well as like in-person jobs. Mm-hmm. But then I also started getting into like blogging and, you know, teaching. And I found that's also a great way to learn is to teach, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because then you start getting all these questions that you've like not really thought through. And then you have to do some research, articulate it. And then, yeah, it is, that is a great way of learning as well. Yeah. Okay. So I've actually broken down into four separate points. So the kind of the argument of is online versus university learning better. So the first point is which one provides a stronger signal. Point two is kind of breaking down the lecture style across each strategy of learning Point three is how relevant is the knowledge? And the fourth point is how robust or how valuable is the community that you're immersing yourself in? So let's start off with that first point. Which is a stronger signal? I mean, unquestionably, at the moment, it's university still. Mm -hmm. Simply because that's what employers have seen for, you know, years and years and years. 
although with anything, we always talk about things as if it's static and it's not changing. So if we talked about this, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it'd be unquestionably 100% university. And then it's slowly gone down over time, just simply because there's more resources. Universities haven't kept up as much as online education. So still a lot higher for universities, but that's changing a lot each day. Okay. So I've actually got a caveat to this or like a, let's dig a level deeper. All Mm -hmm. right. So universities are the winner. What about the difference between like an Ivy league school versus kind of like a, I went to UNCG for my master's program, which is Mm -hmm. not like it, I would say it's regionally recognized, but it doesn't have that national reach. Is the signal of Harvard or Stanford or whatever worth that, what, $50,000, a year price tag? <laughs> you got to do your math, right? You got to know how your student loans are, calc- are calculated, if you can make that money back. That's always the other thing people don't consider. There's always an interest rate on a loan. You take out a car loan, for example. Depending on the interest rate, you actually might pay more for the loan than the car itself. Actually, that's typically more true for um, home loans if you have a rate over like 7% or something crazy. Um, So there's that issue. And universities, I think you get more opportunities to showcase yourself at universities in terms of like the degree can get you in the door sometimes. Right. But so that's at like the Stanford's, Harvard's, that sort of thing. I think for other universities, you still have to be able to have a portfolio. Even at the major universities, Occasionally you get people reaching out to on LinkedIn, I'm sure, like, hey, I'm looking for a job. I went to Stanford or, you know, whatever. <laughs> I actually have not had – I had someone at where, – where is Amherst? That's UMass, right? I think that's yeah. that's a – that, that happened, like, last week. I think that's a that's a name brand school, right? Or am I totally wrong about that? No, it's pretty good. I mean, I mean how pretentious do we want to be here, right? Uh, well, see, that's the thing is that, like, I uh, – I don't know. I, I, I don't, I feel like I'm outside of that boys club or that like inner circle of like, Oh yeah. So you do get a lot of people like, I mean, depending on like what you teach and what you do, like even these days, no matter where you went to school, you still have to like showcase yourself and do all that. Probably a little bit less when you're at the big schools, like the top, top schools. So it's a great signal to employers, at least traditionally, especially at like older companies. But newer companies, the and also like the tech companies, they care more about like what you can do necessarily than other things these days. That was kind of like the the kernel that I was trying to flesh out that you so articulately mm-hmm. just like laid out. Sorry. <laughs> do do tech companies value those like Ivy League schools, or would you be better off just going to like a UNCG or like a kind of a you know Greensboro College or High Point University where it's like not that that although I. So I'm teaching now at both Greensboro College and High Point University. And Greensboro College has definitely got kind of that regional influence to where I think mm-hmm. High Point University, apparently a lot of people from all over the country are going there. But I don't mm-hmm. think it gives that same signal as an Ivy League. No, they don't. But it's how strong of a signal are we talking? Are we talking about like a fantastic signal versus a slightly less fantastic signal to employers? Is it good versus okay? You know, there's, Mm -hmm. if we talk about something's better, is it marginally better or is it a lot better? So if you're going to spend 50K more, but you're only getting, you know, 5K more in value or whatever, 
then is it really worth it? Because once you get your first job, people care less about where you went to school and more about right. like what you bring to the table. Mm-hmm. So if you're not providing value and you went to Stanford or Harvard or whatever, um, then you're not doing as well in life. Yeah, so that's versus- true. Cause then you have like this huge debt and there's no money coming through the door. Yeah. Student loans aren't cheap. <laughs> Because essentially what you're doing is you're paying for that network, which I would argue that I think High Point University does have a very robust network and it's kind of dispersed across the country to where mm-hmm. Greensboro College, I think that the alumni network is pretty centralized to kind of the Greensboro, mm-hmm. Winston-Salem, High Point area. Yeah. The one issue though these days, I think, with like networking is... The one advantage universities also still have is since it's more nationally recognized and jobs right now are more and more remote, it does help to, you know, have gone to a good school. But if you have things to show, like, do you have, you know, uh, a public, do you have, you know, work experience, whatever you use, do you showcase yourself? Like, for example, if you're going for a podcasting job for some reason, <laughs> it really helps that you have a podcast showing your work. Right. Like. For teaching, for example, you have, you know, Udemy courses, you have LinkedIn Learning, who knows what else you have at this moment, (laughs) but it really helps you get other teaching jobs. So like, yeah, that's true. It's just incredible because because of uh, my LinkedIn Learning class, I met you Mm -hmm. and I got on your podcast and because I got on your podcast, got offered, you know, hey, do you want to make more LinkedIn Learning courses? We saw you on John David's podcast. Oh, true I didn't story. know that. You didn't tell yeah, me. That. True that's, story. <laughs> so that's I mean, fantastic. That like <laughs> warms my heart. I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that this was fruitful for you. <laughs> so then, during the part, uh, pandemic, which really weird. So I made two courses on like how to get a data science job for LinkedIn Learning. One's like 15 tips for getting a data science job. Another one that'll be out soon is like how to get a remote data science job. And then also like just parts of other courses I'm in now and like a machine learning with scikit learning course is going to come out. And we can also talk about recording if you want in a pandemic. It's rough. Yeah. I, uh, I recorded two LinkedIn titles. Um, I feel like I'm kind of like opening the curtain. I like made a blanket for it in my bedroom and had my mic. Cause I, I you had to like dampen the sound and I, I felt that was so silly to me. But speaking of LinkedIn, so we, we just talked through the value and the signal of a university and kind mm-hmm. of there's tears to that. What does a badge on your LinkedIn profile signify, if anything? So I think it's more about the fact that you took the courses and you understood the knowledge mm-hmm. because everything you do on your LinkedIn, it's a good to have a badge to showcase some signal. The thing about online courses is it's easier to just say you took the course and there's not a lot of time assessments and that sort of thing to necessarily prove that you know what you're doing. Um, it's more about taking the knowledge you get from your LinkedIn learning classes and then just, you know, applying it and adding to your resume. Like, oh yeah, like, yeah, I may have learned this knowledge, but make a project on data visualization if you have a data visualization course you took. Uh, if... You took a class on you know, getting this job. You don't say like, "Oh yeah, like I have 15 tips for getting data science job as a certification or whatever." It's right. more about like, you know, put a link to your GitHub if you're a data scientist or if you're a data analyst. You know, have links to things you've done. You know, that's a lot more valuable. 
than just talking about things. That I, I feel like I echo that sentiment. Um, and that's actually how I've designed. So I'm teaching this, this class at Greensboro College called Case Studies in Business Analytics. Mm-hmm. And what the first month I had the students take my LinkedIn courses to learn about mm-hmm. Power BI. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're like learning that foundational knowledge and then like the foundations of business analytics. So they have those courses. Plus we're doing a student practicum and they're also going to be building out a Tableau public portfolio. So I feel like that is sending a very, very strong signal and it's working on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have people building their their online presence, working on projects. You also have the best parts of online education that you normally wouldn't have at a university. Because I can assure you just by looking at your courses, because I've seen them, they're a lot more well-edited than most professors when they teach their courses. Definitely better than mine. (laughs) And I'm not a professor. I just teach for uh, like Stanford's version of adult education and like uh, corporate education. Same thing Mm -hmm. with UC San Diego. And professors I had there as well. Their online lectures are nowhere near well as edited as like LinkedIn learning courses and all that sort of stuff. We're going to take a quick pause from the episode so that I can give you some more information about our career services program. Over the last four years, I have developed a very effective approach to teaching the foundations of analytics. And I've taken that same curriculum from my case studies and business analytics class at Greensboro College and turned it into a career services program. So if you've ever thought to yourself as you're listening to this podcast, man, John David's students are really lucky. You can have a very similar experience to them. Just check the link in the description down below. My career services program offers you an analytics foundations curriculum. So this will shore up any gaps in knowledge that you might have in landing either a promotion or maybe even your very first analytics job. And then you get to work one-on-one with me to help build your personal brand. So we will look at your resume and also help you develop a customized portfolio. All right, let's get back to the episode. Well, I think that's where you and I have kind of a unique competitive advantage, which is weird to find myself in this position because I've, I've only been making content on YouTube and that, which, you know, the YouTube channel is how I got into making my Udemy courses, which then led to the LinkedIn stuff. Mm -hmm. But that's two years of track record that um, there's this massive structural shift in the education space that you and I are like kind of ahead of that curve. And it's, it's fascinating to see because these, these professors have not thought about this or had like, we've, we have multiple reps, like we've built mm-hmm. multiple courses. We've gone out to Santa Barbara to record in studio. We've kind of seen how all of that works. I mean, that was like, I keep saying that, okay, my MBA was my MBA. Starting my consulting agency was my MBA 2.0. And I think this is like my MBA 3.0. Like I'm like now getting to like immerse myself and learn in this new space. And what's cool is it's kind of like building on top of itself. Yeah, it's very synergistic in a lot of ways. Uh, the one thing also just about like making online courses, teaching, that sort of thing, is online instructors, at least for like LinkedIn learning classes, Udemy, like we're incentivized to make as good a course as possible simply to get used. And that means to 
more revenue, not necessarily a ton of revenue always, but at least more revenue. So the better job we do, the more money we get. Uh, the one thing about university professors is they're not on a percentage revenue necessarily. A lot of professors typically at research institutions, they're incentivized to do research. Like, mm -hmm. especially the more pretentious schools, you might have gone to, you know, big school, not gonna name any names here, uh, but a lot of professors care so much more about their research than they do about teaching because that's how they get tenure. That's how they get a bigger name for themselves. Whereas teaching, a lot of universities just hire adjuncts who get paid way less have way longer hours, teach at multiple universities often uh, because it's hard to survive on an adjunct salary, relatively speaking, at least. Um, oh yeah, for sure. That's so like- It's weird. The incentive structure is so much different. So professors that are not like just at teaching schools, um, oftentimes they, you know, it's not really a priority. <laughs> so I, I honestly don't think, you know, people like you or me would, you know, have such an audience or such a niche or niche. Um, if university professors were really incentivized by teaching, like, you know, they got tenure strictly based on teaching. They would, you know, go crazy. They would have, you know, people edit their videos. They'd have their grad students work on lectures instead of, you know, research, which is equally important as we're seeing now during the pandemic. Um, but just different incentive structures for, you know, in-person versus, online courses so. well that kind of leads us to that second point and like the four mm -hmm. point kind of structure for this yeah. conversation is lecture style mm -hmm. so what are the differences between a university like classical education versus an online lecture style so how about you answer this one first because you recently <laughs> started doing this <laughs> okay so yeah, it, I'm in an interesting place because I started with the, the online, which I will say online is very rigid and it's very, I would say, impersonal. So I would write out a script, record it, and then you would just sit down and consume that knowledge yeah. to where what I'm, what I'm getting with like my experience with Greensboro College is that I'm much more alive to the moment to where mm -hmm. I can see where the students aren't quite understanding and I can double down there. And then mm -hmm. I can also incorporate things where, so this is, this is a pretty cool story. So last week, one of my students came up to me after class and said, hey, I'm, I'm a golfer. Um, I, I play on the golf team for Greensboro College. Um, I was paying for this app that was collecting all my golf data, but it's too expensive now. They've like upgraded the plan. Can you help me with this? And I was like, that's, that's a really cool use case. Why don't you save that? And we'll talk through this process in class. Mm -hmm. And then what we did was he, I showed them how I, I collected my like wellness data. Mm -hmm. So I, I was, I'll make this short story really short because it's not super relevant. Um, last summer I was put on an elimination diet and I put together a Google form to like track how I was feeling like mental clarity, energy wise, sleep wise in a Google form and then I would map that on top of the, the things that I was either including or excluding from my diet. So essentially did the same thing for this student collecting their golf data. They like, he, he created a Google form that would ask like questions like, how far did you hit it? Was it left, center or right? Um, you know, I, I don't know golf really, but what he did was he created that form and now when he's golfing, he can just enter in his information and that's a great, conduit for us to talk about data governance and data collection 
Mm -hmm. So that, that is so much more alive and engaged versus, okay, data governance. There are three main challenges here, blah, blah, blah. And then it's, I think it's much more human in universities. Oh yeah. I mean, it's definitely has a personal touch when you teach in person, because you can modify the curriculum for your students or you can do specific examples that are actually relevant to the students. So rather than talking about like false positives and false negatives and stuff, you can do actual examples of things that are happening in people's lives. Um, I shouldn't probably talk about false negatives and stuff um, during COVID. Um, (laughs) You can really personalize curriculum. That's one real benefit of teaching in person. Um, You can get to know all your students, you can find out which ones are great if you want to recommend them for a job, for example. Um, it's easier to get a stronger signal on the student itself so that you can then, you know, help the student out if you find them, you know, very good at their job, so to speak. Yeah, and there, there's like an opportunity to build relationships. So mm-hmm. one of my students actually came up to me after the first class and she said, um, hey, you know, I hired someone to, to work through my resume. I've checked out your podcast. I know that you and Elizabeth do this. Um, and then she just like had three specific questions about her resume. And then I got back to Elizabeth and I was like, why don't we start like a mini series where we take her on as an intern Mm -hmm. and, um, we can actually kind of document that process and we've just hired her and we're actually going to be facilitating her doing a nonprofit impact analysis for the nonprofit that I'm the treasurer for. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of working that, that benefits us, but it's also, she's going to get hands-on kind of mentorship for me, Elizabeth and the people at tribal first. That's wonderful. Right. I mean, so I don't think you'd get that on an online course necessarily. It's rare. I mean, that's how you and I have kind of gotten jobs. People see like our courses and, you know, right. Ask you want to do more courses. So, but for like the student perspective, it's, I've only had like a couple students for when I've taught at um, UC San Diego's like extension school that I've actually been like, Hey, this person's really good for this job. Like I recommend them, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And that's like a kind of a hybrid kind of model. Like these days, at least I teach it mostly online. Well, now it's all online, but before it was like, you know, here's some lectures and we, you know, meet in person and just talk about things. So I've had that, but for like online LinkedIn learning classes, I haven't actually recommended anyone for a job. Um, I've introduced people maybe when they reach out to me about, Hey, I'm interested in, you know, subject X, like, how do I, you know, either learn about this or like, who's hiring for this? And I've been like, Oh, these companies are hiring, you know? Um, and here's my friend, but and that's not necessarily been like, you know, I strongly, you know, refer this person for the job. They're fantastic. I know them really well, you know? So, right. There's also a kind of an issue of scale. Yeah. Like I just tallied up all the, um, people I've, I've taught through courses this year. Guess how many people I've taught so far? I think I probably have heard this one, but maybe 200K, I'm guessing. No, no, it's actually lower. I was hoping it was going to be like 150K. It was, it's 74,000 so far this year. That's still pretty impressive. That's still a lot. But if I had 10% of those people reach out to me, that's a lot of people <laughs> to like Yeah, help. that's also the problem with having a blog. I mean, you get to people reach out like, oh yeah, I really like your blog, you know, this is awesome, you know. I'm doing this application from your blog. Could you talk, you know, help me with it? I'm like, first of all, I'd love to help everyone out. It's just, there's not enough hours in the day, right? Yeah. Um, Cause in a lot of cases, blogs are free content. 
so you just get so many people reaching out and like, hey, you have more time to help me for free you know, with all these things I need to do. <laughs> yeah, I think they're just excited, um, but they, they don't, they're not quite taking the perspective of just how busy you get. Like, I feel like the Red Queen, like I'm running as fast as I can just to stay put and, and just stay on top of things. It's yeah, a, it's a struggle. Especially right now, right, with COVID. Uh, yeah. Uh, everyone wants things done, you know, yesterday. Um, and they asked you, you know, today, right? <laughs> That's true. So, I mean, I really think online education is really great in terms of like learning new skills. Um, in a lot of cases, meeting people, if you have a portfolio, you meet so many people just reach out to you like, hey, like, this is a really good work you did and post online or whatever. Um, we're hiring a company X. Like that's probably the more common case of getting a job from online learning is the portfolio building and people reaching out to you about stuff. So, so what do you think about the relevancy of what's being taught on online versus in person? Online definitely is typically more relevant because I think as we discussed, like you get paid based on how relevant your curriculum is. People Mm -hmm. take things that are more useful. Whereas universities, it's like you sign up, you try to get in this university so hard. And then when you get there, you find out like they're not incentivized to update their curriculum often, uh, especially the bigger schools. So you can be learning about things that are you know ancient. So in my, I'm not going to tell you which degree, which place, <laughs> in one of my university degrees, we were learning about an older version of Fortran. Like, do you know what Fortran is? No, I don't. Exactly. So, yeah, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> yeah, so, and this was like, uh, this is relatively recently. So, yeah, so you, oftentimes professors have no incentivized, like, no incentives to update the curriculum because it's, it's work. Doing curriculum is work. Um, and also, you have to learn the new tools, the new relevant industry things. Um, whereas online, it's almost always going to be up to date because people don't take a course that's out of date, right? Yeah, well, I think it's the uh, competitive structure to it. Yeah. So where I was, I developed the, the, the my last Power BI course, um, I developed that before they even launched the new certification and it was a course on the certification. Mm-hmm. So I kind of got that first mover advantage. It's a hyper competitive space. Yeah, and that makes people better in a lot of cases. Um, it does, it's, it's it makes you better, but it's also, man, it is a grind. <laughs> yeah, it is a grind. <laughs> I, but I guess that's good though, because it keeps you honest and it makes you like really invested in, in care to where it's like, it's not as like, th- that's a really interesting point you, you make about how there's no skin in the game for professors to put together engaging, like compelling content and, and facilitate a good conversation. If I research- would say minimal. Right. I, with everything, it's always relative, right? I would say minimal skill, uh, skin in the game simply right. because of like, yeah, in theory, if your classes are really, really bad, like horrifically bad, maybe there's a consequence for some people. But I've had some terrible professors and they are like 15 years into their career. <laughs> you know, and I'm not going to name names. Uh, you're good on that. Uh, you're right. I, sh- I should follow your lead in that. Like, I'm not calling you, Mr. Brown, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyone specifically out. So okay. I think also what's going to happen now is universities, and this is kind of already happening, 
is universities are either leveraging online content to help supplement their lectures because doing things from scratch, as you know, is a terrible amount of work, you know, especially building a course from scratch. Like, um, for example, for our LinkedIn learning classes, you and I didn't do it alone. Right. Right. Um, so having a professor or having a grad student that's teaching the class, which is often the case in some schools, um, having them, you know, creating scripts, editing them, putting them on camera, in some cases doing their makeup, you know, uh, editing videos, like all that's so much work. And that's one advantage um, that a lot of universities don't have. They're just, hey, professor, we want you to do this like tomorrow. Um, I know you have like grants and, you know, grad students and just a whole lot of things you have to do, but, you know, can you make this class online? Like, yeah, very quickly. So I know some universities are definitely, you know, either using things like LinkedIn learning or they're, some universities are um, essentially like leasing out courses from places. Like, oh, that's interesting. And then supplement their lectures. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like with my Greensboro College class, I'm using LinkedIn as the heavy lifting, mm-hmm. and I'm using actual class time to to kind of weasel out the gaps in the knowledge, you mm-hmm. know? Like, I mean, it's pretty cool. Like, we, we just went through my Power BI Top Skills course, and then I had one of the students come up, and I was like, here's a, here's a new use case. We need to build this data model. Uh, we need to clean up, connect to the data, clean the data model it and then here's some questions mm-hmm. and I basically just had the students as a group problem solve and then when they got stuck I would kind of like come in and, and facilitate but I, it kind of gave me like a very quick feedback on oh they don't understand the concept of cardinality or mm-hmm. they don't understand what a relationship is between two tables in a database or a data model. And that's wonderful. Also, do you record your classes or your classes recorded for the students in person? Um, I'm not doing that. Um, I think that it would be hard to kind of capture the essence of it via online in that, mm-hmm. that specific use case. Um, because unless each individual student were wearing like a lapel mic, I don't think... Because, because the, like the we're having a conversation. I, I I don't know how to capture that. Yeah, that's the other problem with university education right now. In terms of like, um, also having it like podcasted or recorded, is it's hard to get first of all good audio, prepared lessons. Because um, like even right now, I have a microphone right next to me, and I can clearly see you have one next to you, and you'll probably do some editing and a bunch of stuff. Um, no editing it? for the podcast. I leave it all in. Oh God. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> yeah. Like, except for that part. We're definitely taking that, that specific part out. Thanks. I'm just kidding. Thanks. Uh, I don't want to lose people. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's, it's really hard. Cause yeah, every, like you said, every student's not wearing a mic. Um, it's not like, you know, you can see everyone's computer screen that comes up magically during the lesson. Uh, you lose a lot and it's hard to get some of that essence into online education. So that's kind of also what online's missing some ways. Like you're not interactively answering questions in a pre-recorded class for like online learning. Not often at least. Well, there's something to be said about being like, we're social creatures, like being mm-hmm. at a place at a specific time with a group of people where we're working on something together. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that that uh, I'm I'm still like uh, this is my first semester teaching in person. I still feel like I'm experimenting, like kind of like my professor voice. But the way that I'm structuring my lectures now is like, well, basically I'll, I'll have some slides up and we'll review the topics that they've they they learned, you know, through the modules online, mm-hmm. like the the week before or like the class before, and then we'll have like an interactive like I, every single class I want them to have exposure directly to a tool and I had pick a different student each time to kind of come up and drive and I go and sit like kind of in the mm-hmm. one of the seats off to the side and just kind of I don't know it's 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 kind of a like a nuanced psychological thing but like me going from just standing up in front of everyone to kind of sitting off to the side and it's like I'm facilitating versus, you know, I'm talking, you're listening. It's mm-hmm. more kind of interactive. Yeah, it, there's definitely an element of, you know, talking in person or even like some ways this, we're learning from each other because we're mm-hmm. just talking. Um, and yeah, we definitely do miss that with online education. It's like definitely an issue, right? Um, I think you're doing kind of a good approach with the hybrid model where you have some stuff that's online, you have some stuff that's in person or as in person as you can get these days. Uh, because I think the thing is we either talk about things in absolutes all the time. Like it's either online's great or just do online or just do, you know, university. Um, if you can afford both or whatever. Um, but oftentimes it's the taking the good parts from some things and trying to leave out as many bad parts as possible. So at least for like a lot of these students, right? The advantage of online stuff is you can rewind. Like, I don't understand this, or I want to reference this later. Um, Whereas the in-person stuff, like I didn't take a note for something the professor exactly said or something I think they said, or you're in trouble, right? So there's, I think the thing is we need to take away from this conversation is really just there's a hybrid approach. It's not just, you know, one thing or another. And that's one thing I've learned for teaching in person, at least. So like uh, students have an LMS often, like they use Canvas or Blackboard, um, something where they get the materials for a course, um, often at universities too, or they use their own custom learning management system. I should probably uh, define my acronyms. (laughs) <laughs> a learning management system is an LMS. Uh, and oftentimes with LMSs, you can have discussion boards, you can have videos there that they can rewind and go further on. Um, that along with the class structure means that they can also discuss what happened in the class afterward um, with each other or with you. Mm-hmm. And also with the lectures, they can rewind and go forward. I think it's just giving students the flexibility to learn how, you know, they best learn really. And I think there is a gap in what, what I, what, I don't mean to be overly grandiose because I'm yeah. just scratching the surface, like in this space from what I'm seeing as is these students don't know how to teach themselves online, which mm-hmm. I think is the number one skill that is going to determine success or failure in your career. That helps. It certainly helps. Right. To where like, they'll ask me questions that they could simply just type into Google and there was no need for them to send me an email, wait for me to respond, then get an answer back and maybe need some clarification. It's like, mm-hmm. just, it's there. 
just engage with like this, you know, magnificent volume of data that is the internet. Like you can answer, you can serve yourself essentially. Yeah, I think it's also teaching students how to ask the right questions. And even us, like we are always constantly improving like our ability to ask questions and like right. be able to find the answers, right? Um, Google works as you have a question, they give you an answer. You know, if you can't ask the right question, you may not get the right answer. So. Yeah, that's true. But then there's kind of like this, um, and maybe this is a skill and I, I'm, I've not really thought of it as a skill of like how to kind of follow threads. Mm-hmm. Cause like you might go on Reddit and type in and power BI. So you, you laugh, but I will get stumped on consulting problems and go to our Tableau or our power BI and be like, Hey, I can't get this calculation for this calculated field. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll get four answers back. Yeah. And that's fantastic. So, yeah, so that's, well, I, you're probably grinning because Reddit is like a cesspool of like political commentary. No, I mean, that's how a lot of people get their data science questions answered. It's, it's um, first of all, it's Stack Overflow for like mm-hmm. Python users. Um, Stack Overflow, even our users, by the way. Um, Tableau, I know, has like a user form. I've yeah, they have questions there before. Forms. So there's that, there's Reddit. I mean, using these online tools to ask questions is, is great. Also, the people answering these questions, they're often also learning it themselves, right? They're getting better. So I just interrupted you, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's, I, I think that is something I wanna communicate to my students. Because mm-hmm. um, we had like a, a very simple thing of like, here, cancel this application or, or cancel the subscription. And they were like, how do I do that? I was like, well, I mean, you can go on the interface or you can, there's this thing called Google where you can just type in how to cancel this subscription. Mm-hmm. And they, they were like, I mean, I was being a little snarky, but they kind of were like, oh yeah. Like, um, I, I, I don't treat them like children, which I think that a lot of, universities do and I think it's to these students detriment yeah I mean a lot of it especially in later years at university it's more just like you know you teach someone how to learn I think that's part of the the goal is teach people how to learn because in like work right there's many things you don't know that's why you get paid money to solve you know typically harder problems than you know things that are just very simple to do so teaching them how to answer questions how to ask questions, um, how to com- uh, communicate results. In a lot of ways, that's also what you're teaching is, you know, we have this thing on Tableau Public and they're communicating results through their dashboard or whatever Tableau does in other cases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's asking questions. It's, you know, teach them um, where to get things answered. Um, so like also one like strange thing is like, if you are a constant answerer on a lot of forums, like there's a Tableau forum, um, probably just Google this if you're listening to this podcast, by the way. Um, but like for our users or Python or whatever, you can also go on Stack Overflow. People have gotten jobs off Stack Overflow because they're so good at answering questions. People find them and are like, you are amazing. Like, please work for our company. Or, hey, do you want to interview for this company? Like that, That's such a wild concept to me. But I mean, it totally makes sense because it's social proof. Yeah, it's, it's, it's social proof. Also, 
you might refer to your own answer sometimes because you know <laughs> you forgot something yourself. Right. So it's great for you as well. It's it's, and I think that's also one thing people are, are often afraid of is like, what if I you know answer a question or something and, or you know who might answer a question? Well, you have to start somewhere. <laughs> That's true. And I mean, they can be a little bit um, mean sometimes. Yeah, there's this weird thing within the internet and specifically internet tech people of within that Power BI course, like I love, I put like a seven minute interview with one of the podcast guests on, on, on how to get an analytics job. And he said something like, Power BI is not as good as Tableau and visualizing data. And I got a one-star review and a paragraph long about how this course is a hackett job or hatchet job on Power BI. It's besmirching their great name. Who who am I to like dispute or even like besmirch the number one business intelligence? There's this weird like tribalism that kind of breaks out too, which is strange. I mean, I think that's also in the workplace itself in some ways. And people are meaner online often, right? Oh, yeah. I'm sure in this podcast we're going to get some nasty, nasty reviews. Like, <laughs> like who is this Michael Percy on the podcast? He doesn't know anything. Who is he, right? Oh, like, you're a- absolutely person. wrong about that. You are like the person that the, the audience wants to hear from because you have more opportunity coming your way because of your online presence than you could ever. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I have some people that are nasty. They're like, oh, yeah, like, why do you, you know, write this blog? Or your blogs are so simple or, you know, whatever, you know. It's like, oh, um, just move on. <laughs> yeah, just move on. But the good people are so much worth, so much more worth it for like, you know, it just makes up like every single wrong thing people, you know, say or do or whatever, because one person get you a job. One person can, you know, change your life. They see your, like your work. Um, a couple of people, like it's getting to the point now where, you know, you have more than one person because you have such a presence, right? Multiple people will reach, reach out to you because you, you know, you have so many platforms where people can find you, right? Yeah, that's um, true. So I, I'm sure it's, if it's not overwhelming for you yet, it might be. I think I'm just going to hire- In terms of an, just people reaching out to you because you have so many things online. I'm just going to hire an, an army of virtual assistants. That's what I'm going to do. Some VAs. Just answer all Maybe. the questions for you. No, that, that would not work. That would be a terrible I point. Mean, but what you're, ta- so what, you, what we're kind of talking about here is, um, sorry, it's, it said in, unstable internet. Am I lagging right now? You're lagging a little bit. It's okay. You're, um, you know, there's, oh yeah, you're, you're fine now. Okay, perfect. So what we're talking about here is? Community, <laughs> which is the last point. So it's kind of like tie yeah. this all together. So let's close out this conversation on the differences in community of in-person university colleges versus learning online. Mm-hmm. What's the difference? That sounds good. So obviously with um, in-person, especially you know when you're allowed to be in-person and you know not be at least six feet apart with a mask on and you know be okay being the same library together or, you know, classroom when it wasn't so scary. Um, there's a lot of advantages of meeting people. You form friend networks that can help with jobs, also just, you know, friendships or social creatures, as you said. Um, and a lot of people are missing that right now, especially people that were very strong in the social interaction space. 
um, because also that's a good way to, people can see your screen if you're having issues, right? You can have someone come over to the computer to help solve an installation issue, for example, um, or you know, work together on some you know, challenging math problem if you're in math or um, go over organic chemistry you know, together to just, it's easier to see what people's problems are to help answer questions. And also just for networking, all that jazz. Um, although honestly, you and I have met online, so there's always examples of people meeting in person versus online. Um, so with online, right, the, we talked about community-wise, or community-wise, like there's so many forums and there's so many places to ask and answer questions um, online where you can really just make a name for yourself, but also just, you know, meet friends and go from there. Like people meet each other on Twitter, like at least in the data analytics space and data science especially, people have met each other on Twitter and become good friends. <laughs> like just it's because, a wild world. <laughs> because people on Twitter, for example, post like, you know, um, here's some, you know, good uh, book on machine learning or like here's um, these flashcards of machine learning I made. Like, and people are like, oh, this is awesome. Like, thank you so much. And then people build a following, meet friends. Um, people are like, hey, like and someone gets laid off and they talk about it on Twitter, for example. Someone's like, hey, I see what you did on Twitter, like all the work you've shared and stuff. Like we have an opening here. Do you want to apply for it? You know? Oh, that's, so that's cool. You, you build a community in Twitter and like um, just answering questions, Stack Overflow, just like all these places where you can just really um, in some ways um, socialize, network more so than probably socialize because socialization is probably better in person. Um, that was... I almost have it. It's almost like a matrix in my mind um, mm -hmm. of maybe matrix is not the right word, but it's kind of like a s colleges are high in human connectivity, mm -hmm. low in kind of tribe mentality, though. Like mm -hmm. you might identify that, you know, we both go to Greensboro College, but you don't you're in there with math students, you know, scientists, art history. There's not that this is my industry to where mm -hmm. online you can connect with tribes and groups of people who have a common goal of wanting to become a data scientist or become a Tableau developer or become an analyst. And that, mm -hmm. that is higher and kind of like, the other side of connectivity, kind of like identity, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, of course. You can really specialize a lot and meet people exactly in your tribe um, online, which also probably makes things a bit more polar, like polarized online, right? <laughs> things oh, yeah. get you know more nasty online because people, you know, form their tribes a lot easier, so to speak. Um, and warfare, tribal warfare. <laughs> yeah, I mean, or group warfare, or, you know, wherever, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, and so that's kind of an issue with online is people get very polarized very quickly. Um, there's yeah. some arguments to be made about some platforms deliberately polarizing people because it's better for revenue. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going <laughs> to type, I'm going to type things out because I'm mad right now. Yeah, exactly. And then other people agree with you. In some ways, you form an echo chamber in some ways online. Um, and universities, you know, there's less of that tribalism maybe in some ways. I mean, maybe some universities are, there's always exceptions to these rules, right? If we're saying, okay, 
in general that, you know, more tribalism or more like um, polarized communities online doesn't mean there's not necessarily a lot of polarized communities in universities. It just means maybe more likely online, right? Um, there's also a non, an, I can't even say the word, anonymity. <laughs> online. You're anonymous. anonymous. Yeah. <laughs> why can I, I not mean, say that word right now? <laughs> honestly, I don't know why people are so, at least for like, at least the, like the, the work stuff, the, you know, the Stack Overflow, the Tableau Public, all that sort of stuff. There's advantages to actually having your name on some of the stuff you do good work, right? That's, a lot of times people contact you like, hey, this is fantastic, or, or at least have, you know, something that you can show that it's yours. Yeah, well, I mean, on Reddit, it's like a, you know, I mean, there's some crude usernames. Yeah, there is some uh, crude stuff on Reddit, but in terms of getting your questions answered, sometimes people will be very helpful. Sometimes people will be very mean. Um, mm -hmm. And that's also another skill, right? And when you have a job, um, you ask a question, sometimes people don't answer very nicely. Like it's, yeah. it's work, it's not, you know, necessarily friendship. You could have friends from work. Um, people often do, it's a good way to meet people in a lot of ways. But it's also another skill is like, don't be afraid to ask questions in some cases. Um, and in workplace, you don't always have, you know, nice flowery relationships with people. Um, we all respect each other and things are not stressful and people, you know, don't always react nicely with, you know, work situations, right? <laughs> no, not at all. So in some ways it's building um, the ability to ask the right questions. It's building the ability to um, deal with negative feedback in some ways. Because oftentimes when you post something online or ask a question, if you're asking that question to the person online or to a forum or whatever, at least you're not asking a hiring manager um, in an interview setting. Oftentimes people answering your questions might actually be hiring managers. So you might actually be learning a lot from people online. Because a lot of the best people are the ones that are constantly answering questions or whatever. Versus yeah. you have a dashboard, cool. Um, it's fantastic to do for a school project. Maybe your teacher read it, maybe TA read it, maybe. I mean, TAs are tired and busy. Um, and then you get to an interview like, oh yeah, here, like I did this project or whatever. Maybe they can show it to someone. Um, but oftentimes the same pieces of feedback they would have got, you know, by posting online. Um, the hiring manager is like, oh, you should have done this, this, and this. Or like, this is, you know, bad, you should have done this. And whereas if you got that feedback earlier online from someone else, because it's like a pretty obvious issue some, uh, sometimes, uh, you might have gotten that job. You know, or you might got that contract or that gig or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, trust me. It, I mean, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, you know, uh, recommend not showing anyone your work before, you know, showing someone for a job setting something. Um, so it's. I really think there's a lot of advantages to sharing and you know having some online community in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't put your name on it and like when you post me online, you just want to share and just get feedback on something. Um, that feedback is very valuable. Um, in some cases, it'd be nice to have your name attached to it. So then you can then uh, hopefully have people reach out to you about work or opportunities or whatever. Um, but also just the feedback itself is just wonderful. 
Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, this was a fantastic interview. I mean, I, I hope you keep coming back more and more because I feel like this conversation was even better than the last conversation we had. Um, I hope so. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just learning more about this space. So I've got more of a nuanced kind of perspective mm-hmm. and opinion. So where can people find you on LinkedIn? Okay, so you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Michael Galarnik. So you also can find me on Twitter at Galarnik Michael. You can find me on Linda, LinkedIn Learning. Uh, I teach a class for Stanford Continuing Studies, and that's Machine Learning with Python. Uh, I teach, I still have classes for UCSD Extension, um, so UC San Diego Extension. So I teach those classes. Um, I have a blog on Medium. I think it's probably at Galarnik Michael. Really should know that by now with all the views. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see. If you really want, you can read like, you know, Google Scholar stuff I've written with people. Um, and honestly, it's increasing. I'll probably announcement for next time on the podcast about like other things I'm teaching. So we can talk about, you know, other subjects like, uh, let's see, assuming I'm invited back, of course. Uh, <laughs> like subjects uh, like, You've already gotten the invite just now. <laughs> you come back. Like, you know, uh, online courses versus university versus, uh, versus boot camps, for example. Like, that'd be a really fun topic to talk about, like, who's incentivized to help best get you a job, so to speak. Awesome. Like, the advantages and disadvantages. Great. Well, you guys reach out to him and continue to help him become even more famous in the data science space. (laughs) Thank you so much, John David. Oh, thank you. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Hey, I hope you really enjoyed this episode. I'm curious, were there any valuable insights or lessons that you learned? One thing that could hugely help us out is if you just took 30 seconds and left us a review with a little blurb about what you learned. Thank you so much for your time and attention, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.